0: Well, I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, a weekly coaching clinic you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome back to The Coaching Staff, episode number 55. And it is a continuation. It is a sequel. It is The Empire Strikes Back. It is The Godfather, part two. It is Superman 2. It is hopefully better than Dumb and Dumber 2. Um, <laughs> involving... That might be the most accurate description. <laughs> Uh, thirty seconds new, new new record that's gonna be a tough one to beat <laughs> <laughs> uh episode 55 what makes tough coaches and listening to this you may be re- rethinking that at this point so uh part two and again we want to uh give credit where credit is due we got this list from mike neighbors coach neighbors thanks so much for putting this together and tony and i are putting our own spin on it and sharing it with everybody here so uh before we get to that there uh, lloyd christmas uh We've got. Uh, we I've got. Uh, I've got quite a few number fifty fives here. Uh, I've got some. I've got some linebackers. I've got some post players. Uh, I've got a couple of baseballers. I've got a, a very effective battery here: a pitcher and a catcher. So uh, we got a lot of directions to go here, Tony. What do you got, buddy? Where do you Where do you want to start? Oh uh
1: let's go linebackers first.
0: All right. Uh, one, two, three, four linebackers.
1: Terrell Suggs from the Ravens. Yep. Um, Otis Wilson from the Bears.
0: I did not have him on the list. Ooh, that's your
1: mistake. That's um, okay.
0: My bad. Let's see. <laughs> so you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> but he's uh, the I'm
1: throwing for a loop with no Otis Wilson now. Um, Shoot. We're starting to need some hints now.
0: Okay. Uh, two. Um, one guy, uh, I'll give you franchises here. Uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, for one. Buccaneers, 55. Linebacker. New England. Patriots. Brooks. Derek Brooks, there it is. New England Patriots. Junior Seau. Junior Seau, who was... A I was going to say he was with San Diego more than the Patriots, but you've got another Patriot on here as well. There's two Patriots. Two Patriots. In Yeah. Whew. I consider Seau um, more of a San Diego than New England. But.
1: Let's see. 55 the, Patriots. Last time I did Brewski. Yeah.
0: Um, Played alongside Brewski. Vrabel? Mike Vrabel? Nope. Nope? Nope. They played with Vrabel. Went to USC, I believe.
1: Ooh, Willie McGinnis.
0: There you go. There you go. So there's your four linebackers. You want to go baseball or basketball next?
1: I'm not going to get any of them, so let's
0: go (laughs) basketball. Okay. Uh, I've got two centers and two forwards, two power forwards. We did Buck Williams already, so it's not going to be him. Um, One, I believe, is still in jail for murder. Or might have been involuntary manslaughter or something like that. He played for the Nets. Yes, he did. Is it Jason Williams? That is correct. Okay, Uh, Um, three left. One, I'll give you a hint. One is a great player of the early NBA's and his son also played. George Mikan. Nope. That's 99. Uh, His son also played in the NBA. Oh, wow.
1: Thinking the berries, but obviously Rick didn't play
0: center. Um, No. Dolph Shays. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, Two more left. One's a forward, high scoring forward out of UCLA. Played for the Denver Nuggets. High scoring
1: forward. I believe he's not Marcus Johnson. It was the Clippers. No,
0: I believe he's part of the NBA front office today.
1: Ooh, that's not helping. Um. The, back in the day, they had Alex English and
0: Kiki Vandeweghe, so it must be Kiki. Kiki Vandeweghe, And then one more. This is the, probably the best player out of them all. Uh, Tony, you got to get this. Dikembe. Dikembe said Tony do good.
1: <laughs> all right, we're off to baseball.
0: Yes, pitcher and a catcher.
1: Pitcher and a catcher.
0: Played for the two greatest rivals in the history of the game.
1: So, Yankees and the Red Sox.
0: Uh, Yankees and the... Dodgers? There you go. Okay. Catcher for the Yankees, pitcher for the Dodgers.
1: Let's try Thurman Munson. Nope. Yogi Berra.
0: Nope. More Jorge recent. Jorge Posada. There you go. Okay. And then pitcher... Pitcher for the Dodgers. Kershaw doesn't wear 55, does he? Nope. <sighs> Holds. Oral Hersheiser. There it is. Oral Hersheiser. Got all 10 there, Tony. A little bit of help, but we got there, buddy. A so, lot of help. Yeah, a lot of help. So, so hey, it's all right. Yomi. So, just don't fall off the jetway again. All right. All right. So, um, yes, what makes tough coaches? Part two here. And again, Coach Neighbors, we want to thank him for putting this together. And like I said, Tony and I are giving our own spin on it here. So, We've got about six or seven new bullet points last week. If you want to listen to part one of this, uh, we had about six bullet points this week. I, I, we've got about six more of them. Um, let's start here, Tony. Uh, tough coaches are visible. Um, I- I'll kind of let you lead on this one here, Tony. I've got my own thoughts, but I'll, I'll let you get going. I'll let you lead here. How, why is it important for tough coaches to be visible?
1: You know, it's one of those things where being visible, you may not feel like being visible, but it's important for a variety of reasons. Number one, it's important that your players see that no matter what, you're going to show up, you're going to be there. You're visible, not just at their sport that they play for you, but you're visible in their other activities as well. Yep. You're visible in the community. It's important for the community to see you, that you are there and you're not just there to ask them for money yep um that you are there uh to be a part of the community and to be a pillar of the community um you're visible at youth things so that they know hey i must be important you know because we talk about them being the future and you're there watching them at youth tournaments and you're helping to perhaps organize and put on a youth tournament uh in in your community for them but it's important because they look at you as a role model. And it's just important for you to be there. And then, you know, there are going to be times where you're going to stub your toe. And it's important for you to be visible to show that, hey, I'm the same guy Uh, when things go well and when things don't go well. And when things don't go well, it's probably even more important that you're visible um, to to do that. You know, I know Nick Saban this week, uh, radio show yesterday, the coaches have been taking some heat. They didn't play great against Texas, especially in the fourth quarter. And he said, hey, it's, it's a, it's a, high-stress profession. And if we don't play well, I'm the one that needs to be held accountable. And so he had no problem stepping up and, and being visible and answering those questions.
0: hmm Yeah, I, I, I think a couple other places that you can be visible that it's really easily, uh, easy for you to control it. Um, you talked about other activities, and I think sometimes we limit that to uh, sports activities, you know, truth be told, after we get done uh, taping here, I'm going up to watch uh, our, our softball team play. And, and uh, a couple weeks ago you know, on, on Monday night, I'm, I'm watching our volleyball team play. Uh, you know, so it, it's not just sports stuff, but it's also the other activities. If, if you've got some kids and, and maybe even if you don't have some of your athletes in the one-act play or the school musical, Man, that's a good PR thing to do, and 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 I know that. And Carl and I have gone to those type of activities, not for PR reasons. We've gone to them because we've we've enjoyed going to them. Uh, we we enjoy supporting stuff like that, and we enjoy uh, watching the the school play, the the school musical, and that type of thing. But I, I also think that it's important that you support your kids. That it's not your relationship just isn't a, a sports relationship. It's it's everything. That they do now again. That's within reason. You cannot keep your own sanity and and go to every one of their outside stuff. That's just that's just literally impossible. But you 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 have to you have to try to find those times to try and support those things when possible. Um, the other place I thought it was important to be visible. Tony uh, was in the hallways. Um, you know, don't don't uh, bury yourself in your at your desk. Um, between every single class period, go out there. You're not going to have all of your players in your classes. And in some schools, like if you're in a big school like Kennedy, you might not have very many of your players in your program, in your classes. Uh, but you could talk to them. You can have conversations. You can ask them how Spanish class is going. You can make fun of the socks that they're wearing that day for school and, and those type of things. And again, those, those human side of things. Uh, are really, really important in building those relationships. So those were a couple other areas that, that you you mentioned a lot of things that I had written down, uh, but, but those were two other things that I wanted to add on to your initial list uh, that I thought it was important to be visible at as well.
1: Yeah, and I, I agree with the fine arts as well. And like you said, it, it builds camaraderie between you and maybe a segment of the school and the the extracurriculars that may not otherwise be broached. And so it is important, and you can build some, like you said, some goodwill in that area, and you might start to see, uh, you know, the fine arts representation at your basketball games potentially.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another thing, and, and sometimes, especially when things aren't going well, Tony, uh, it's easy to just want to cocoon yourself and not want to, you know, be visible (laughs) because people are going to come up to you and and probably talk about things that you really don't want to talk about. And and, uh, I think that's part of the job that we have to accept, especially if you're a younger person, if you're a younger coach. Uh, Unfortunately, in our positions of leadership within our communities, we're going to get some um, unwarranted opinions on the job that we're doing. And you just got to roll with it. Uh, You got to be ready to roll with it and, and move forward from it and um, smile, nod, thank you for your support. And, and we, we move forward with that. And, and I think that, when you show when things are not going well that you are visible, I think that that again buys you a lot of respect from your peers, from the community. And and truth be told, Tony, in my first couple of years, um, I probably did not do a very good job of that. Uh that's something that I, I think I could have done a much better job of when I was younger. Uh especially oh probably my second year uh at my old job but it was it was a tough year for a lot of different reasons and there's a lot of PR situations and the visibility things that man looking back on it now being more seasoned and experienced I would have handled a lot of things differently and and I think again those are hard lessons that sometimes you just got to learn yourself uh but being visible is really really important I agree yep um next one up on our list here uh no news we are afraid that no news is better or is worse than bad news. Um, I'll go ahead and start here, Tony. I think one of the things that you have to do as a coach and especially, you know, as a head coach and 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 you have a unique opportunity as an assistant coach uh, when you are an assistant coach that, and, and I'm sure you've probably seen this, Tony, your players probably, you know, the varsity kids probably open up to you more about how they're truly feeling to you as an assistant coach than they probably ever did as a, as a head coach. Am, am I right? Am I wrong?
1: Most definitely. You know, I, I look at like the assistant coach, not that you're necessarily the good cop, but that's more of the role you get to play as the good cop. You know, the head coach has to be a little bit more distant because they don't want to be accused of, well, the only reason that Sally or Johnny or whoever is playing is because their are coach's pet, you know, mm-hmm. and you got to make those decisions a little bit more objectively, a little bit more distantly
0: mm-hmm um yeah but i i think whether you're a head coach or whether you're an assistant coach i i really think that you have to can you know you're you're always mining for information and you're not doing it intrusively but again kind of talking you know combining there are two topics so far kids in the hallway they're walking down the hall and you know they're walking by themselves hey you know, Billy, how's how's everything going? How's the team doing? How's everybody feeling? Whether they're player number one or player number 20 in your program, you know, those are little things. That, hey, how are you doing? How are you feeling about things? Everything going well? Okay. All right. Is there, you know, uh, and, and those 20, 30 second conversations, I, I think are really, really important to have. And, you know, it, it's good to to search high and low and, and to find out as much information as you can. And, and if you start hearing the same things over and over again, whether it's good news or bad news, but especially if it's bad news, then that gives you the opportunity to, uh, to really, you know, put, put, put your foot down and get it taken care of and, and to, to stamp out that fire, you know, leave that fire as a spark rather than becoming a full fledged forest fire. And, um, you know, I, I think that's really important that, you know, and if you hear it again, Tony and I, you and I are seasoned and experienced enough. If you hear it from one person, but you don't hear it from anywhere else, most of the time it's that one person that has a, a gripe or a grudge or whatever it may be. Uh, but if you start hearing it from two, three, four different places, whether it's you or your assistant coaches, then it's it's probably something that you need to really address. Uh, that's always been kind of my rule of thumb. I mean, I don't know where you're at. I've kind of thrown out some things here the the last couple of minutes. Uh, What else do you have to add here, Tony?
1: Yeah, you know, again, having those mini conversations. And sometimes, you know, it can be during the school day. Sometimes it can be the first part of practice when they're stretching or warming up before practice officially begins. You can chat with them after practice. But I think you – you know, whether it's the assistant coach, head coach, communicating, checking in, you know, keeping things like letting them know that you care about them as people. I think that's hugely important. And not that you're mining and, and, and trying to dig up gossip. But if you hear things that are concerning, it, it's time to, to address it. Because one of the principles I think that this one kind of goes with goes back with the John Gordon book that I read where it talks about, you know, if you don't fill it with communication like you don't communicate, negativity is going to seep in there. And so I just think, you know, you're you're more afraid of no news rather than, than bad news, because if you get it out there on the table, you can deal with it. I think that's a part of you know growing as an adult and maturing is that hey it's out there it may not be what we necessarily want but let's 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 develop a plan here uh, and let's deal with it and so uh, i think that's an important step as a, as a coaching staff as a team as an organization to make sure that you are uh, out there and, and and communicating and listening and what's going on and you know once it's out there you can you can you can go ahead and and, and address it
0: Coaches are absolutely loving our taking over a new program booklet. As many of you know, I spent two years outside of coaching, and during that time, I hung a note card in my workspace at school that said, Strip the house down to the studs. I took that time to really rethink and reorganize my thoughts on what it takes to run a transformational program. As I prepared for the possibility of coaching again, I organized these thoughts into this 96 page booklet. How much do I trust this booklet? I used this booklet as I went on interviews to help sell myself and my vision for what my new program would look like. If I'm using it to sell myself, why wouldn't I recommend it to you, my listeners? This booklet will help you look at any part of your program, no matter what stage you're at in your program, and help improve it in some way. It's all yours for only $15, which includes shipping and handling. For more information, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. And sometimes... You can mine and dig and uh, uh, you can mine and dig all that you want. Um, and again, you and I have, have done this long enough. you're gonna have good seasons, you're gonna have bad seasons and and you sometimes when you're having those tough seasons chemistry wise you, you feel like something's off in the locker room, a lot of times you don't even then you don't get the whole truth, you know and and that can be particularly frustrating because you know, that something's off. You know that uh, the team is not functioning the way that it is, or the way that you want it to be, and yet you you can't get down to the truth of it. And and I know for me, Tony. I mean, I'm I, maybe it's a social studies teacher in me. You, for me to talk to a kid and say, okay, here's here's what I'm thinking. Here, um, I don't feel very comfortable talking to a player or talking to a parent about. You know some some chemistry issues that might be going on with their child without some some really you know for lack of a way to say it don't want to go law and order here but not having some hard evidence and mm-hmm. and and I you know been there I, I I've been there you know uh, we went through that my you know in in a in a certain situation and we dug and we dug and we couldn't find out and we knew stuff was off and this and that and it wasn't until like. A week and a half with the season where where we had some some players on the team that were just fed up that they finally kind of broke that code of silence. and and, and you know by then it was too late. and and so you you feel like you were uh, you were really it was really frustrating because we wanted to fix these things. We were trying to fix these things, but we we didn't know where to start it at, even though we had our suspicions and our suspicions. Turned out to be pretty right, you know. We we weren't off by much, but until we had that that tangible proof, so to speak, it's it's hard to get that. So information is so very very important uh, to to make sure that you can have your team function at its highest level possible, and you you got to work hard and you got to be tough enough to hear maybe some hear some things that you don't want to hear as well.
1: Yeah. And it's not always going to be sun, sunshine and roses. And to be honest with you, when it's not, that's when they need you to step up as a leader even more.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, third or third one on our list here today: play an appropriate schedule. Um, you know, Tony, you've you've put together a few schedules over the years, and and you've had really good teams, and you've had some uh, some not as good teams. Uh, you know, talk talk to us about scheduling and and why it's important for tough coaches to put together an appropriate schedule
1: you know one of the things that's interesting is that you know when you go to to team camps and such in the summer mm-hmm. that uh you know on there you can you can fill that stuff out and if you do it accurately you go to the team camp like man that was a great experience we played teams that we were competitive with there were good games and stuff like that and you don't want to go in there and and, and you know snowball the guy that's organizing in terms of you know we're not that good so on and so forth you blow everybody out by 50 Yep. you don't get a good experience they don't get a good experience and so then as you transition into your your season your regular season this is where you want to work with your ad yeah and as you do that like for us basically 18 of our games are eaten up by conference yep um we'll play a 16 game conference schedule uh we end up uh, a couple of teams will play two times that are local teams you know in city teams if you will uh and so we have that so we really get about three or so um non-conference games and one of the things that john did i thought was really kind of fun you know inspired by the acc big 10 challenge is we're in what's called the mississippi valley conference and in central iowa the power that be there is the ciml yep and so they're going to do two weekends where one weekend some ciml teams come out here and play at the powerhouse cell center whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. and then a different weekend we're going to travel to central iowa to play against some of the ciml teams in these these showcases these challenges mm-hmm. and so i think that's a, a really really good thing um and the part that's kind of fun is that in iowa uh what we've done is they've got like a committee that now seats things. And so what will happen is the teams put their name in there, so to speak, like, hey, we're committed, we're going to play. And then they try to do the matchups that way, where uh, this committee comes in and schedules them that way. So I think that's really, really good. But, you know, you got to make sure that you are scheduling a schedule you know, putting together a schedule that is going to challenge your team. It's not going to be how oh, we beat everybody at 50. It's a running clock and it's not going to be, we get our you know brains beat in because we're playing way above our threshold. You want to make sure it is a schedule that, that, you know, gets the best out of your team and helps them in their growth and development throughout the season.
0: Yeah. So I, I have, and I agree with all of that, Tony. I, and I really think uh, it's important to be on the same page with your, with your AD and, especially in situations like you and I are in, you're, you're playing a lot of boy-girl doubleheaders. So you want to make sure that not only are you good with that appointment, uh, op- appointment opponent, uh, but your, your boys program is, is good with that opponent as well when you do schedule those non-conference games. Now, ours is a little bit different. We only play our conference opponents one time here in Nebraska and then we, and we, we toggle it, you know, every other year is home and away. Uh, but then we, but then every conference, almost every conference has a conference tournament. So a lot of those teams you end up playing twice uh, okay. through the conference tournament. But, so let's say that's half your schedule. I, we have, we have nine teams in our conference. Uh, so we're playing eight conference games and then our conference tournament, which we get at least two and hopefully three games out of that. So Close to half of our games are conference games, and then the other half of them are non-conference games. Um, what you know, I've, I've had two perspectives of it. When I was at when I was at Scott, uh, we were looking to, to, to get to every year was you know uh, the goal was to get to the state tournament, and you didn't want to overschedule, but you didn't want to underschedule, you know, and so. We looked at, and, and we have the wild card system here in Nebraska, and you, you study it, you do a lot of math, even if you're a history teacher, you do a lot of math, and you try to figure out what's good, or what's what's not a good game for you. Um, you know, when I was at SCUT, um, and, and you're playing a lot of high-level Class B or maybe some Class A games, and then you would play one or two games against teams that were quote unquote below you they're in lower classes but they're still really really good teams and man did those games scare the crap out of me and we struggled in those games because our you know quite honestly our kids would be like we're playing Lincoln Pius we're playing Beatrice we're playing South Sioux City oh we're playing this this C1 school we're okay it's like no they're they're really stinking good and and so I had a really hard time and I and I finally got to the point where I'm like we're not, you know, we're going to try and play Class Bs, or we're going to try and play Class As, and I and I want to be the team that's going to chase the Class A school and have our kids fired up about playing whatever Class A school that may be. Instead, you know, I wanted to be the hunter instead of the hunted uh, in <clears throat> that regard. Um, at Fort Calhoun, you know, the, the kids had struggled, and, and so there there was, you know, some decisions to make in the sense of scheduling that. Okay, we have to find a way to bank some wins and, and, and have the kids feel good about themselves because they had not felt very good about themselves when it came to the winning and the losing for, uh, for a, a period of time. Um, but at the same time, I wanted to keep some of the really good schools that we had played on the schedule because I also wanted to show kids, this is where we want to be at. And so when we're playing well, eventually, hopefully, against these schools, okay, now we're ready to, to, to play with the big dogs. And, uh-huh. and so I think that, you know, yes, you, you need to adjust your schedule accordingly, but I also am a firm believer in steel's sharp, and steal, um, that you, you can't be afraid of good teams even when you're not very good because you have to have two or three examples to your, to your kids every year that this is what excellence looks like. And this is the level that we want to play at. And the only way you really learn about that is by going up against somebody that good. And I think there is such a thing as watering down your schedule too much. Even if, you, even if you think that you're not going to be very good, that you still have to be tough enough to say, okay, we might take our lumps two or three times this year, but we really feel like a year or two from now, this is going to benefit us and this is going to show our kids. This is grade A example number one of you say you want to be here. This is what it looks like
1: yeah and like you've mentioned you know it's cyclical yeah there's going to be some good years there's going to be some down years uh but the one thing that hopefully never changes depending upon your talent level is are you competitive are you competitors are we going to go out there and compete and lay it on the line and regardless of whatever just get after it and play hard and Mm -hmm. then you can see on the other side of things where you want to be in with your young team you hope that that's the standard that's the example and then when you arrive and are able to stand toe to toe and maybe even knock them off like you said it shows that you're ready for the big stage
0: yeah and that that being said if if you've got a really really good team you also just can't beat your brains in 22 nights a year you know i mean i i do believe that if you can get a couple of games where you can work on things and and work those into the schedule i think those are important as well tony cuz cuz it's impossible to be up 22 times a year. I mean, it's, it's that, that emotional intensity, in my opinion. And again, I'm just speaking for myself when we have these conversations Um, you, you can, even if you're really good, you can overschedule yourself as well. Um, I, I, I believe, I don't know what you believe, Tony.
1: I agree. You can, Um, our league is really good. Mm And, you know, and I know everybody says that, but our league is really good. It's, it's a grinder. Um, And so one of the things that's kind of fun is when you get to step outside of conference and you're not scouted to the T and different yeah. things like that. And that's, that's kind of fun. And you know, when you set up your scrimmages and stuff, th- those are things to keep in mind as well. But like you said, uh, you want to make sure you're able to work on some things and maybe play some different rotations and, and such. And so that'll help you later on in the postseason.
0: Yep. Um, topic number four, have people around you that are smarter than you. And for me, that's not much of a challenge. That's, that's really not. So, um, you know, uh, I, I've had really, um, and, and, and I'll really go back to my, my coaching staff when uh, I was at SCUT, and I, I had some really great assistant coaches. Uh, going back to Jerry Gradoville, guy named Jerry uh Adam Ronfelt, and 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 then I, I really felt like to make myself a better coach, uh, I hired a guy or I asked a guy named Jeff Ritz to help me coach. And Jeff helped me out in so many ways. Jeff is a legendary coach here in the state, won four hundred and some games, four hundred and sixty five games as a head coach, retired from Millard North. Um, and you know, we really we I, I think we learned a lot from each other, but I really took a lot from Jeff and and the great thing with having Jeff with me was he had walked a mile, two miles, ten miles in my shoes, and so whenever you have those head coaching issues, he knew exactly how I felt, and in a lot of ways knew what I needed to hear. And sometimes there was stuff I needed to hear, and stuff that I just, you know, you know, they're, 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 even when I didn't need to hear it, he would tell me that. So. Uh, Jeff is a big one. Again, you know, Mark Palachek, Sarah Goodwin, people I've mentioned before on the podcast. Uh, but, you know, it, for me to really grow as a coach and all of my assistant coaches, even the coaches that I have on staff right now have helped me grow as a coach. Um, but now, again, I'm getting seasoned experience enough that I'm the oldest guy on staff. So it's a little bit different now as I evolve and, and move into this next phase. But I think it's really good, especially if you're a younger coach, to have a older coach, a a, a more seasoned and experienced coach than you, and, and preferably an old varsity coach, somebody that's coached varsity for an extended period of time. As an assistant coach, that's an invaluable resource.
1: You know, and I agree, Marty. you got to have good people around you. Um, I've been fortunate enough through the years, you know, wherever I've been, to have really good assistant coaches around me, you know, uh, Diana Coyle, back in the day when I was at Walnut Ridge, uh, you know, uh, Jessica Nye uh, was with me in Hudson. Um, you know, I go, I go to Audubon. Kim Subert was a great assistant coach there. In in Harlan, Sue Fowler, Mark Kohors. Really, really good. Uh, here in, in Cedar Rapids, when I came, um, I was having trouble filling out my staff, and the guy was like, Hey, I'll, I'll help you if you need me to, but please understand I'm not a yes man. And that's one of the things you want to get good people around you. Yep. You want to get people that think differently than you do, because I think that's important for your growth. Mm-hmm. And you want to empower them, you want to give yeah. them responsibility because you want them to be challenged and to grow. Uh, but the thing I would give you on top of that as well is, you know, it, it helps your sanity because you can't do everything. And that's one of the things sometimes as coaches, we've got to admit our mortality, if you will. Yep. I don't know everything and I need to, to make sure that I give you responsibilities off because I can't do everything. Mm-hmm. And I think those are all very, very important. So I agree 100% with that one. Um, you know, and, and I was, and I was a young coach I was young and dumb enough that I would you know go out and that's how we met it was you know I called up Bill Fenley can I come work your camp and that's where we first bumped into each other Yeah. you know I, you and I Tony DeCecco, I wanted to go work his camp and then you know would sit down and talk with those guys and you know the, one of the biggest things is admitting what you don't know
0: yeah yeah oh yeah yeah And and sometimes for some people it's hard to admit what you don't know Um, yeah, I I want to go back to something you said there, Tony, you know, I brought up Jeff, you want to talk about two guys on the completely opposite polar spectrum of basketball. Uh, Jeff was a two, three zone guy who wanted to keep the game in the, in the high, in the, in the high thirties and low forties. Um, I want to press and run for 94 feet and I hope we're in the sixties. Uh, you think we had a couple of conversations about some things, you know, uh, but to Jeff's credit, you know, he always said, You're the head coach, I defer to you. And and you know, again, Mark, Sarah, Jerry, Adam All those great guys and gals that I had along the way, uh, Susie Lucian. I I think Don Meyer, and I'm going to pull out a little Don Meyer here for us, Tony. Uh, Your your ideal coaching staff, and 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 I forget Coach Meyer put it in a biblical sense, but I'm going to basically summarize it because I don't remember the names of the biblical characters that Coach Meyer put it in. But basically, you want a coach that's that's older than you, more experienced than you. Again you know, preferably a, a an older varsity coach, a former varsity coach. You want one coach on your staff that's around your same age, that's uh, you've got a friendly relationship that kind of sees the world the same way, way as you and then you want one coach that's that's younger that's hungry that's got big energy that's got fresh ideas that that has grown in the game a different way than you have and coach Meyer always used to talk about his staff being like that and and I always thought that was that was something I tried to do and, and obviously when you're a high school coach you don't have the opportunity to sift through as many resumes as as uh, Fran McCaffrey or Lisa Bluder or somebody like that but I think that always kind of stuck with me that that's a great way to keep your staff fresh and and have your staff uh, function at a really high level.
1: Yeah, I think those are great because, like you said, young coach, fresh ideas, but also closer to the player's age and somebody that they can confide in.
0: Yep, yep. Uh, Topic number five. Uh, Basically, you need to adapt without compromising your principles. And I think now, Tony god help us we're we're getting seasoned and experienced enough to where um we don't have as much in common with the kids today as we'd mm-hmm. like to think um you know this week we uh had the anniversary of the september 11th attacks and the kids i'm teaching weren't even bored they weren't even close to being born when september yeah. 11th happened so it is a completely new dynamic and and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this one, Tony, about just, you know, adaptation, but without you know, compromising your principles.
1: Yeah, you know, and I, I agree with that. And they say that, you know, every 10 years you are older than, than those you're, you're working with, you know, coaching, classroom, whatever, you're a generation removed. And, man, I'm, I must be a, a handful of generations removed now. Okay. Um, but I kind of took this one, relationship was a part of it. But to me, it was more like strategy too. Uh, Mm -hmm. we are adapting to the times in terms of like strategy because the game is changing. You know, you don't see, uh, two posts in the floor, like what it used to be a while back. You know, it's more about, you know, to take the, to take the vernacular, you know, space and pace and, you know, a lot of, a lot of ball screens, a lot of dribble drive motion, um, you know, and different things like that. And I think that's one of the fun things about basketball is it can be played in so many different ways and it can be played in so many different ways and be successful. I, I you know, I'll, I'll find it interesting because right now, you know, with, with you know, Jokovic uh, playing outside, facing the basket and his passing ability, you're starting to see that side of things with the five men. But it would, it's a copycat league. All of a sudden, you know, like one of the things with Team USA that got them in trouble is they did have much size, mm-hmm. and so if you start to see European teams and teams that are having success, you know, in international competitions, it wouldn't surprise me in no time if we're back to you know three around the arc, two inside the Kansas high-low game. But you've yeah. got to be able to adapt and change uh, with your strategy and with your relationships, um, you know. But I go back to some of the, the core things, you know. We mentioned earlier. Your, your talent level may fluctuate, but they, you've got to have competitive kids. Yeah, No doubt about that. Yeah. And the other thing that you take a look at is you want, you want to make sure that you're teaching them more than just basketball. I think that's a standard thing that you never change either, where if you, all you're teaching them is basketball, you're going to fail them. You want to make yeah. sure that you're teaching them some life skills as well. And then you have those core principles as a person treat others the way you want to be treated. And so I think those things can always be there and then we can adapt some of the other things in terms of relationships and strategy and X knows and, Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. But yeah, we've, we've got to be adaptable because if you don't, you're going to become extinct.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just in the time that you and I have started coaching Tony, obviously social media, computers, internet, that type of thing, parents are much more involved. Um, Almost it's almost a given like, in the late '80s and early '90s, my parents were never asked to do anything for the program, and now we we obviously have parent involvement with a lot of different things, fundraising, you know, et cetera, you know, dress codes and, and things like that, which were much expected at a much higher level. I think back when I were you you and I were playing, um, I, I think the key thing for any coach is when it comes to your core values, your core principles. I think most players and most adults will adapt to your core principles and values if you are 100% out front with them, up front with them, and they know it from the get-go. Here I am, whether you agree with this or not, but here they are, and and, and if if need be, here's why I believe in this, And, and you may not even agree with it, but most people will adapt to that as long as you are out front with it and so people know from the get-go this is how we're going to do things within our program when it comes to these non-negotiable core principles and core values and in as i've gotten more seasoned and experienced that's something that i've been really really conscientious about is making sure that okay this is what we stand for here's who we are um there's certain things yeah let's talk about dress code let's talk you know and, and i've never been a personally I've never been a big trust code person. I'm not worried about what you do at five o'clock. I'm worried about what you're doing at seven thirty. and you can, you can dress to the nines and stink it up. Or you can dress like a, uh, you know, like you just rolled out of bed. And if you play your tail off, I'll live with it. You know, that's kind of my own personal opinion. Um, and there are those that disagree with it, but, uh, now again, that's within reason. Uh, you know, we do have certain principles, but the kids know, the biggest thing is, is playing hard, being a great teammate, and stuff like that. And and that's what we try to make clear. So I think if you make clear from the get-go where you stand and what your core principles are, most of the times it seems like people adapt to it. I don't know how you feel about that, Tony.
1: I agree with that. The only other thing I would maybe add there uh, with it is consistent enforcement.
0: Yes. You know, you yep. can't
1: bust kid, say they're 13, 14 on your roster, and look the other way for your best player or two.
0: Yep, yep. Yeah. Um, Last thing, uh, get the most out of your practice time. Um, and, and for me, this is really simple. I'm I'm really over the top when it comes to my my practice plan. Uh, I'm very precise. I'm very. Uh, I'd like to think we run a really, really efficient practice. You know, One of the blessings of, of taking the two-year sabbatical is I got to go out and watch a lot of people practice at a lot of different levels, boys' practices, girls' practices, college practices, a lot of different things. I, I felt like after watching so many different areas that I, I really felt good about the way that we practice and how our practices were organized. Not to say that you don't tweak things. We're, we're tweaking things this year. And, and we've already talked about different things that we're going to do in our practices this year based on my coaching staff and, and the number of people that we have to help and, and my comfort level. Uh, but you got to have – it's got to be organized. It's got to be efficient. you got to have good flow to it. It's got to be logical. Uh, and, and I think, Tony, you, you talk about this. you got to be teaching all the time. And, some, and most of the time it's going to be about basketball, but sometimes it's about life. And I think when you bring that attitude to practice and you're efficiently – uh, Organizing you're getting the most out of your practice times those are the teams that improve the most from usually from the start of this of the, of the season to the end.
1: I agree and you know one of the things I, I go back to I mean if you have six hoops in your gym um, you want to make sure all six hoops hoops are being used as often as possible yes you know one of the things that would be very very frustrating um, is the fact if you have half your kids or more that, that sit around and watch the, the 10 guys scrimmage You know, while they sit there and twiddle their thumbs for two hours, that would bore me to death. And you've got to you've got to value everybody. You know, and again, you mentioned some good things that you might be limited by. How many assistant coaches do you have? How many managers do you have and stuff like that you can implement? But, yeah, I mean, you want to get the most bang for your buck. And the coach who really helped me with that was Tony Pappas, a longtime coach. Uh, successful girls basketball coach at waterloo west he coached you know a number of players i think a a handful of them have played in the wnba he's had uh players of the year Uh, he has a girl that is going to oklahoma uh, Sahara Williams is her name, but he's very good at that. He's got he's charting everything, mm-hmm. uh, but he just is, makes the maximum use out of his practice time. Uh, Tom Lilly here at Cedar Rapids Xavier is another one uh, that does a fantastic job of making sure uh, everybody's valued, everybody's active and doing stuff, and not a lot of sitting on your hands if you're not in the top ten or fifteen or whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um, yeah, it's it's you got to be there. Uh, one of the really good ones that I saw while I was, was out was, uh, he's now retired, uh, Jerome Skirdla at Gretna. I thought Jerome ran a tremendous practice the, the day that I went over to watch them. And, and I I thought, you know, he, he was really efficient with that. And, and, you know, not every, you know, again, I, I think, um, one of the, the, the things that I really learned during those two years is, is I, I just, I, I watched other coaches operate, whether it was in practices, whether it was in games, and and I, uh, it was it was just an outstanding growth opportunity. And now we're we're getting to the point where in the next couple of weeks, you know, your your NAIAs are going to start practicing. Uh, we've talked about it before, Tony. You know, a, a lot of colleges are are going to be practicing, and use this time before your high school season starts to go out and watch other coaches work. Um, it's, it's really, really important to do. Um, and you know, I really like going to like an NAIA practice because a lot of times NAIAs are more like us at the high school level because they've got varsities and JVs with not a lot of managers around to help out, but yet they want to run a really, really efficient practice with only with the head coach and maybe a couple of assistant coaches. And, and that's nothing against Fran McCaffrey at Iowa or, or, uh, uh, TJ Otzenberger at, at Iowa State or somebody like that uh, but that's kind of the area that we're working with that's the that's the tools that we have to work with so what are ways you could pick up how to run an efficient practice from a division three coach or a Juco uh, in some ways can be more productive for you as a high school coach rather than going to see a division one type of situation
1: yeah I mean you're comparing apples to apples in some of those situations but you know like, we don't have a lot of guys that are going to play at Iowa. And so they're going to run a lob play, throw it up to the top of the square, and somebody's going to dunk it. We don't got that guy. Um, But, you know, just in terms of setting things up, you know, you mentioned JUCO. We have one of the best JUCO uh, coaches in the country, Kim Mule, here at Kirkwood in town. Um, You know, we've got Division 3s with Coe. Cornell's about a 30-minute drive away from us as well. Uh, But, yeah, I would highly encourage coaches, get out there, watch things, you know, kind of get the – the you know synapses in the brain firing again and be ready to go here uh it's it's going to be less than two months before a practice officially begins
0: a pen and a napkin university videos are just another way that a pen and a napkin can help you become a better coach our university video library is constantly expanding with topics ranging from interviewing for a job to full court defense to 25 universal truths about coaching our university videos will help you round out your skill set as a coach and help you hone your craft. Videos are $10 a piece with bundling options available. To order, you can DM me on Twitter, send me an email at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com, or order from our website, a pen and a napkin.com. Be sure to check out the A Pen and a Napkin Video Library. You do have a guy that can go up to the top of the square and go get it and throw it down in your program lead Europe. no 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 his name's Tony Viss <laughs> yeah.
1: if, if we're on like a you know Nerf hoop or one of those little adjustable little kids hoops
0: oh no I think you got it but <laughs> like 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 said you know who really does have it Tony
1: obviously you're up every night
0: You betcha they got it, buddy. You betcha. So, uh, this week, uh, I've got trivia. Uh, are you ready, sir, for our trivia segment?
1: Yeah, I can get a trivia question wrong real
0: quick. Okay. I think you got a chance. So you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> Back to that. <laughs> yeah. I got worms. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, United States failed to win a medal. At the FIFA World Cup in the Philippines, losing in the bronze medal game to our neighbors to the north of us, Canada, eh? Tony. Oh, <laughs> oh, you betcha, boy. Did I tell you what? That Dylan Brooks just really shot it, you know, eh? Yeah. Um Tony, trivia question is before this last weekend. When was the last time that the Canadians had won a medal in a major international competition
1: oh boy um...
0: let's let's uh, I'll give you a guess here you got your choice basically there's two major international competitions World Even Cup and the Olympics or the Olympics so let's see if you can get that right. Let's go Olympics. You are correct. So, which Olympics did the Canadians win a medal? This is the last time they won a medal in international competition.
1: In the Olympics, huh? Um.
0: Now the Olympics are every four years. Just as a refresher. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Uh,
1: they're coming up and coming up soon. Two thousand and eight.
0: You are significantly off.
1: So I need to go into, into like the 90s. Or earlier.
0: You are significantly off.
1: 70s it is. Um. 1972.
0: You are significantly off.
1: <sighs> um... Let's go 1956.
0: Good guess. You are still significantly off. The answer is the 1936 Berlin Olympics, the first official international basketball competition. Dang. Uh, they won the silver and the U.S. won the gold. Wow. Yeah so that was the last time the Canadians have won a medal in a major international competition huh. so I thought you they, might know that one because I, I, be I, I
1: yeah coming up in the, in the Olympic Games because they didn't have Jamal Murray
0: yeah yeah so uh, that of course leads us to our week Mel yeah thank you Mel um your read, Tony, on our on our efforts and and what you saw and, and and read about with the with the FIBA World Cup and kind of where the U.S. stands here. You know,
1: it was a game where uh, Germany led at halftime. Obviously, Germany ended up winning the whole thing, um, but they gave away the lead in the second half. And and you got to give Germany credit. I mean, Dennis Schroeder uh, ended up being the MVP of the FIBA, um, and so. Uh, you talk about a guy who didn't even have a contract in the NBA and went to the Lakers and then parlayed that to success uh, to get a contract. I think he's with Toronto now. Um, and so you got to give them credit. I think uh, the Wagner, Bogner, I guess is how you say it, the younger one is, is in my opinion, could be a really, really good NBA player. Um, Orlando had a nice year last year. I think they can build off of him uh, as well as Paulo Banquero. Um, But, you know, you take a look at it, I think it it showed us a couple things. We couldn't get the bigs to commit, Yep. and Germany pounded us on the glass. And then they knew that Canada wanted them, and they were going to get Canada's best shot. Dylan Brooks, who normally doesn't shoot it that well, shot it out of his mind. And you had a lot of excitement there with Bridges missing the second free throw intentionally, sticking the three uh, to send the game into overtime. But, you know, I don't think Boncaro played. I don't think Jaron Jackson played. And I'm missing the third guy. They had an illness. And so if those guys play, I think we beat Canada. Yeah. Um, but I think what this has done is it's lit a fire under, like, LeBron and Steph and some yeah. of those guys. Hey, Avengers, last time, let's let's go do this. <laughs> and so I think you'll see a significantly different U.S. roster when the Olympic Games come up.
0: So so I'm going to borrow this from other podcasts, but I was actually thinking about doing this even before I heard it on other podcasts. So it's, it's, uh, you know, six of one, half a dozen of another, um, who off of this 12 man roster would you keep for the Olympic games? Who would you try to wedge into that 12 person roster?
1: I think Anthony Edwards is at the top of that list. I think he would be number one. Yep. Um, Austin Reeves uh, played, hit in my opinion, played his way onto it. Uh, I don't know if Halliburton did or did not. He would be kind of a fence guy. It depends upon some other pieces there. Um, but I would say probably just those those two uh, would be who I would say probably has played their way on. And I think, in all honesty. You know, Austin Reeves had looked really, really good, and, and arguably could be could be the most valuable. Um, but I don't know how much he'll play if they bring in a loaded U.S. roster. All
0: right, yeah. So I agree on Anthony Edwards. I think that's pretty universal. Um, he might even be better in a quote unquote lesser role. Um, depending on who comes aboard here and who's healthy enough because we are talking about some older dudes that are being thrown around here too so um i thought i thought halliburton was really good um and and i thought mikhail i've always been a mikhail bridges fan Uh, i thought man if if the sixers would have just kept mikhail bridges on draft night then they don't have to trade for tobias harris which means jimmy butler's a lot happier and I mean, just the difference there. I mean, just talk about the classic, well, yeah, (laughs) overthinking it. So so I would keep Edwards. I would keep Halliburton. I would keep Bridges. Um, That would be my three. Then, you know, we have, so here's the other uh, podcast gimmick we're going to play out here, Tony. Uh, Let's fill out the rest of the roster here. Here were uh, one, two, three, four, five. Six. Here would be seven guys I would definitely want for various different reasons. All right, LeBron, Curry, yeah. Devin Booker, okay, AD. Um, he'd be a perfect international five. Jason Tatum, mm-hmm. Kevin Durant, and Bam Adebayo. So okay. that would that's so. There's ten uh, if you add in Edwards, Halliburton. And Bridges, and then you're looking at two spots. Um, you got Joel Embiid, who's probably weighing his. You know, here were the five names I had for two spots. Now, if Embiid decides to play for the U.S., then like a Halliburton or a Bridges, shh, you're 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 done. Sorry, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but uh, Embiid, Draymond, mm-hmm. or to kind of bring up the bench because if you've got LeBron, Curry, Booker. A.D., Tatum, Durant, Bam. Then, you know, Anthony Edwards is eighth. Uh, you know, Halliburton is your ninth, or Bridges is your nine ten. Uh, and then you're, then I would be thinking, like, let's bring along Paolo Banquero to get some experience and have him spend a couple of months around LeBron and Curry and see how those guys work. Uh, Jalen Brunson, you know, would be a great, 11th or 12th guy cuz he's not going to complain about anything. He's just going to, you know, he's going to be a great teammate or like you said the aforementioned Austin Reeves would be another in that in that mold there. So um You know, that's that's you know, it's it's gonna be an interesting roster construction. I think we got about fifteen guys for about twelve spots, depending on health and and who's really into it. And and again, Joel Embiid is his decision as to who he's gonna play for, France or or the United States plays a big factor in it as well.
1: If if he doesn't, I think the five I might go with that I think is an international five would be Brook Lopez. Okay. I think he would be really, really good at that. I mean, the role he plays for the Bucks would be perfect, I think, with Team USA.
0: Yeah. Yep. An option as well. An option as well. So, uh, WNBA playoffs have got off to uh, a start. Did we have anything else on FIBA, Tony, that you wanted to go over?
1: No, I think we we hit the high points there.
0: Okay, so we're taping this on Thursday afternoon. This will be dropping Friday morning. WNBA playoffs uh, started last night. I watched a little bit of the Connecticut game, um, and they rolled over Minnesota in the end. The Aces rolled over Chicago. Not terribly unexpected. Uh, who's in the semis, Tony? Uh, who's in the semis?
1: I'm obviously going to take the aces. I think they'll sweep Chicago. I wasn't surprised that, that Connecticut won. I was surprised by the margin. Yep. Um, I, I, I believe Connecticut's going to be there. Mm-hmm. Um And then I really think Washington's going to give uh, New York more than what people expect. I still think New York's going to get out of that round. So I would put New York there. Mm-hmm. Um And then, I believe we're looking at Dallas, and I'm trying to remember who Dallas has. Atlanta, I believe. Is it, a, is it Atlanta? I think so. Okay, so I'm taking Dallas yep. there. Yeah. So I I'll go Dallas, New York, Las Vegas, and Connecticut. I think will be the four.
0: Yep, that's who I had as well. That's who I had as well. Um, I I, I think that's, I I just think that, uh, you know, I I think those top three are head and shoulders above everybody else. I think Dallas will be pesky, but ultimately, um. You know, and that's what a 4-5 run is all about, you know. So, um, okay. And then last thing I want to talk about, Tony, uh, what's your thoughts here? The NBA came out and they basically said you are not allowed to rest multiple star players on a given night. Um, you know, how do you feel about it? We, we know that rest is good, but at the same time, you know, if, if the Plums are driving to Denver to watch the Lakers and LeBron and AD are both sitting out, that's not why we drove eight hours to watch the Lakers in Denver. We watched, we went that far to see LeBron and or Anthony James or Anthony James, Anthony Davis play. Um, but at the same time, shouldn't coaches be able to do what they want to do with their, with their teams and do what they believe is to be best. Yet at the same time, Michael Jordan played, 82 games a year, 25, 30 years ago without luxury jets and all the modern medical technology that we have, and he turned out okay. So a lot of different angles with this, Tony. Where are you at? You know,
1: they had a stat the other day, Jordan, at age 40, and what he did, and it's like, wow. Um,
0: yeah, you know, and, I saw and like that too. Like you said,
1: the, the NBA is a, is a fan-driven league. Obviously, a big part of their income is people buying tickets, and if you want to go watch two superstars and they are both resting that night and you get to watch the the b squad if you will that would be frustrating because the the price of a ticket in the nba isn't isn't five bucks it's it's considerably more than that um but i also like you said you know popovich was the one that that kind of came up with this whole load management thing um so if you have a veteran team and you want to rest them and say, you know, you don't get home court in the playoffs, that's not that big of a deal to you. You want your guys to be fresh come playoffs. You're a veteran team. You know, you can win on the road. Um, Shouldn't that be up to you? Mm -hmm. Um, So you're just going to have to be a little bit more uh, savvy, I guess is the word that I would use instead of, you know, resting LeBron and Anthony Davis or, you know, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard or whatever you rest one, one night, you rest the other one another night. And, the one thing that it's going to do is it's going to put the medical personnel um, into maybe a little bit of a quandary because if, if they really are pressing you to say that so-and-so is hurt and can't play, when, you know they might just need the extra rest. I don't know. That's going to be a tough situation to, to monitor. But at the same time, I kind of understand where they're coming from because if you don't, all of a sudden the fans are like, well, obviously the regular season doesn't matter to them. Should it matter to me, I'll just go to the playoff games.
0: Yeah. Or I'm gonna sit at home and watch it, and then the owners suffer at the gate. And um, yeah, it is it is a, a tangled web. Um, I I don't know. It is entertainment when it comes down to it. It's entertainment, and people are paying, like it or not, they're be they're paying to be entertained. And I, I think there's a, a certain obligation that if you are healthy. And capable, um, then, then you should be out there entertaining, uh, because you are, you know, and, and we're talking the high-end guys. I mean, uh, back in the 80s, people were not paying a lot of money to go to Lakers games to watch Chuck Nevitt. Um, Kurt Rambus though. Oh, Rambo. Rambo, you bet. There, there there, you have it. Or, uh, you know, but they, they paid to see Kareem and Magic and, and those players, James Worthy, and you want that paycheck. Um, and, and most of these guys want to go out there and compete. Um, but, you know, it, I, I think it's just part of the package that, that mm-hmm. you know, we've talked about leadership uh, thousands of times on this particular podcast, Tony. And, and there's an expectation well, that's if, if you're at player X that wants the shoe contract and wants the adulation and wants the big, massive contract. You know, you also have to uh, fulfill your end of things, and, and you have, uh, to a degree, an obligation to the people to go out and entertain them to the best of your ability.
1: And maybe instead of playing 30 or 35 minutes that night, you play 20. Yeah. But you play.
0: Yeah, but you play. But you play. Exactly, buddy. Exactly. So, all right. Episode 55, What Makes Tough Coaches. Again, I want to thank Coach Neighbors for the great article. Uh, great stuff, Tony, the last couple of weeks, anything to add, whether related to last week, this week, anything else you want to throw in there, bud?
1: You know, it's just the thing to make sure that your walk meets your talk. So as a coach, if this is what you espouse is what you stand for, make sure that what comes out of your mouth is also what your actions reflect. And I think if you do that, uh, you know, you'll set a great example for your players, for your community and, uh, represent your program. Well,
0: yeah, I agree. Great discussion, as always. Have a great weekend, my friend. Um, we'll be back next week on The Coaching Staff, episode 56. We'll find something to talk about, and and hopefully this helps you out as coaches. If you if you have questions or anything for Tony and I, you know how to get a hold of us on, on Twitter or on email. And, uh, yeah, just let us know how we're doing. Here. So, coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.